Today we'll get started with the 17th Psalm. This is a Psalm of David. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from your presence. Let your eyes look on things that are upright. You have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and have found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept away from the pass of the destroyer. Uphold my steps in your paths, that my footsteps may not slip. I have called upon you, for you will in hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. O you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who oppress me, from my deadly enemies who surround me. They have closed up their fat hearts. With their mouths, they speak proudly. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They have set their eyes crouching down to the earth as a lion is eager to tear his prey and like a young lion lurking in secret places. Arise, O Lord, confront him, cast him down. Deliver my life from the wicked with your sword, with your hand from men, O Lord, from men of the world who have their portion in this life and whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure. They are satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possession for their babes. As for me, I will seek your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Uh, the building over on uh, Superior Avenue is, I'm so excited. You walk in there every day and something is different. It's been months and months of waiting for anything and all of a sudden uh, we have uh, the drywall is all up. They finished it a day ago. They uh, put a texture on it yesterday. Um, uh, not in the whole area, but just in certain areas, the texture went up and then, uh, uh, I, you know, it's got to be painted and then they're going to put in the drop ceiling and the air conditioner after that, along with the electricity, like the lights and stuff. And, uh, maybe after that, the tile and the, the kitchen and bathroom sinks and stuff like that. And then from there, uh, the carpet and I mean, we're, we're so close to being done and all those things can be done around each other. The chairs are in, but I told the people that they're in Atlanta, I'm sorry, Orlando, and I told them to just hold them for a day or two, and they'll probably be delivered Tuesday. Uh, if so, then uh, if anybody wants to help put them together, it's just the back of the chair. They don't put them on because when they ship them, uh, well, there's a reason. I'll explain it. It's a little complicated. But anyway, we have to put on the backs of the chairs, and it takes two people. So if anybody wants to help with that, just let me know this week, and uh, we can do it any day. And uh, let's see... Um, just all kinds of stuff. I got a couple pieces of furniture I made for the uh, for the building, and um, I just I'm so excited. All kinds of fun little things. So just so you're up to date on that, uh, I think everybody here has been baptized. If you haven't and you'd like to be scripturally baptized, which is something that follows um, accepting Jesus, it uh, the picture is a full immersion. Go under the water, come out of the water, rather than sprinkling. We can do that anytime you want. And uh, let's see here, um, today is our 88th Genesis sermon. Uh, it's uh, Genesis 35, 9 through 15, just seven verses. It's called Israel's Land Promise. And um, let's go ahead and open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this, this changing of the seasons. Even though it's not any cooler yet, the sun is uh, a little further south. The days are a little bit shorter, and it gives us the hope of... Uh, of relief from the heat soon and at the same time we have no traffic on the roads it's just beautiful sarasota is just glorious and we thank you for that this time of year is just such a time of hope and uh 
promise. It's like maybe being in the uh, spring up in the north. And uh, Lord, we just want to give you praise and glory for the changing of the seasons and for the flowers that bloom at different times throughout the year and for the different birds that fly through Florida. And we see them in the fall, we see them in the spring, we see them in the summer, each doing their thing according to your wisdom. All of these things just come from your, your great, great mind. And then you reveal them to us in the uh, material world. What a great God you are. And then you give us each other. You give us love between each other. You give us uh, family and friends and uh, uh, good food to eat. Every good thing. We could just stand here all day and just thank you. And uh, it is so good to be in your presence. And Lord, there are people that are traveling right now. There are people with uh, uh, their problems. Some people have uh, problems at their home. Uh, some people have uh, problems with their finances. We have people that... Uh, uh, just have uh, relationship problems right now. All of these things weigh heavily on us, and I would ask that you would just look into us, search us, and uh, relieve us according to your will in your way. And uh, regardless of whether it's the way we anticipate, let us never fail to understand that it is a part of your plan and to give you praise and glory for it. And Lord, be with us during this service. Help us to uh, bring glory to you through your word and through receiving your word into our hearts. And uh, in all things, may you be praised through the name of our Lord and Savior, our great Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, let's see here. Today is, um, what day is it today? The 17th of, uh, the 15th. It's the 15th of September. I, for the first time, I think, ever on this day in history, I didn't include the day. So uh, today is 15 September. And uh, as I said, we're going to go through Genesis 35, 9 through 15. But before we do, I got a few points from this day in history. Uh, the first is uh, in, on this day in 1776, British forces occupied New York City during the American Revolution. Starting on this day, uh, they did a lot of burning and there was a lot of uh, uh, angst in the city at the time. Uh, eventually, uh, we got the British out of America and uh, New York was rebuilt, as you know. But uh, that was this day in 1776. And then in uh, 1789, the Department of Foreign Affairs was renamed the Department of State. Uh, if you know our current uh, Secretary of State, it's uh, Hillary Clinton. And uh, that's the... Uh, John Kerry, that's right. Clinton left. Oh, gee whiz. Anyway, that's the person that goes out and speaks for the president in the um, uh, international arena. And uh, when they misspeak, it can cause all kinds of diplomatic uh, problems. And I was thinking of Clinton at the time because of the Benghazi issue. And then, of course, we had John Kerry just this past week say something which has caused uh, no amount of grief to uh, no uh, limited amount of grief to uh, Barack Obama because he wanted to bomb Syria. And uh, uh, now he can't do that, at least not in the uh, immediate. And so it's it's a uh, 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 position where they have to be very careful about what they say and when they're not or when they're uh, you know not controlled in their thinking we end up with trouble just as we have with Clinton and then again with John Kerry. Thank you for correcting me on that. Um, 1853 a lady named Antoinette Brown Blackwell. Anybody know who she was? Okay she was ordained becoming the first female minister in the United States in violation of 1 Timothy 2.12, which says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. And that's speaking of spiritual matters. And uh, so America was on the uh, uh, heresy highway. It's heading down that path. And uh, uh, 
Uh, that's just the way it is. Uh, you know, people don't like that, and they don't like when I bring that up from time to time. But as I say, every time I bring this issue up, I didn't write this book. I just simply have to abide by it. And whether I agree with something in my head or my heart is irrelevant. It is God's word, and therefore I have to follow along with it. And if I'm following along with it, then I will agree in my head and my heart. Um, but there you go. That was Antoinette Brown Blackwell. And then in 1858, the uh, first mail service begins to uh, the Pacific coast of the U.S. under government contract. Uh, they were coaches from the Butterfield Overland Mail Company, and it took 12 days to make the journey from Tipton, Missouri, which is all the way halfway across the U.S., the rest of the way. So, uh, But imagine that, though, that it only took 12 days, and they're using a horse and a carriage. So uh, people could now correspond within just a couple of weeks with each other when before you might have never heard from a family member again, or if you did, it may have been by uh, some obscure route. Would you take this to uh, somebody in this town and maybe they'll get it to this person? And so things were really moving along for the new nation at the time. Uh, 1883, a place that I've actually been to on my trip around the U.S., uh, the University of Texas at Austin opened. And if you know, that's, I think, where George Bush, um, uh, George W. Bush went. You always see people doing this. That's the hook'em horn sign. That is not a sign of the devil. People love to take uh, pictures of uh, George Bush, and they put him on the Internet and say, see, he was a devil worshiper. No, that's his alma mater, right? So uh, anyway, um, uh, that was, uh, I didn't actually go to the university, but it was right outside of the Capitol at Austin. And so when I was at the Capitol, there it is. Um, Let's see here, in 1916, during the Battle of Somme in France, tanks were uh, first used in warfare when the British rolled them onto the battlefields. So imagine that, uh, these tanks were being used for the very first time and uh, really changed warfare in a big way. But I would be one that would not want to be in one of those early tanks. If you've ever seen the inside of them, if you've ever seen how small they were, and there was no modern day air conditioning or anything like that, they were brutal. I, uh, I've seen some of the French tanks that actually invaded um, uh, Israel during, uh, when was it, 48, was it? Well, anyway, it was, uh, uh, they were later models, and yet they were teeny. They were absolutely teeny, and I think, my gosh, people were riding around in these things. And believe it or not, a, a whole column of tanks was stopped by the Israelis that had no arms at all. So uh, God was definitely with his people, and uh, they... Uh, invented some neat ways of stopping this column, and uh, if you ever want to hear the story, we can talk about it. But um, that's uh, tank warfare began on this day in uh, 1916. Then in 1928, a guy named Alexander Fleming. Does anybody know what he did? Very important. Everybody here has been affected by him. Uh, he discovered the anti antibiotic penicillin in the mold Penicillin Notatum. And uh, after him, a lot of people survived that would not otherwise have. Um, people love to get into churches where they claim that they can heal you and that they can, you know, put their hands on you and that's the end of your disease. And uh, I, I do not follow that type of, uh, 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 I don't say that, the God, that God does not heal. He does if he chooses to. But we're not to rely on the miraculous. God gave us brains for a reason. Luke was a physician, believe it or not. And uh, so it, one of the authors of two of the books of the uh, New Testament was a doctor. And there's a reason why that is, is to let us know that there is a need for these things. Uh, in the New Testament, people try to find verses to claim that you can be healed um, without, uh, you know, any other means of healing. And uh, they disregard verses like, I uh, left um, Trophimus sick in Miletus. If you've ever read that, Paul is writing to uh, Timothy. He says, I left 
Trophimus sick in Miletus. And he says to Timothy, I know your stomach is bothering you, and this is a paraphrase, uh, drink a little bit of wine for your constant stomach problems. He's giving him a medicinal remedy. And then, of course, Epaphras almost died for the sake of the gospel. You know, I claim healing in Trophimus' name or in Jesus' name for Trophimus. Well, Paul didn't do that. So um, we need to use our senses and our heads when we uh, talk about theology. Yes, God does heal, and I believe it. And I've seen people that have actually been healed by the Lord. Doctors have seen, oh, I've got one right here that says that. But, uh, you know, somebody has cancer and all of a sudden it's gone. I do believe that happens, but I do not believe that it is the norm. It is the exception, and it is for his purposes. So uh, that's where I stand on that issue, and the Bible does as well. We cannot defend going to churches and claiming healing in Jesus' name is what I'm getting at. Um, anyway, 1935, the Nuremberg Laws were enacted by Nazi Germany. The act stripped all German Jews of their civil rights, and the swastika was made the official symbol of Nazi Germany. Really sad stuff there. Uh, it ended up in the extermination of millions of Jews, uh, many Christians as well, gypsies, any uh, mental patients, uh, minorities. Uh, Germany became a, a country of death. And uh, that all started right there in the Nuremberg Laws enacted this day in 1935. Uh, and then in 1940, just five years later, the German Luftwaffe suffered the loss of 185 planes in the Battle of Britain, forcing Hitler to abandon his plans for invading England. So great stuff. Uh, that was the great quote by uh, Winston Churchill, which I'm going to blow now, but never has been uh, uh, so much owed to so few by so many, something like that. Now, just a very small portion of pilots saved that country. And uh, if you ever want to see a, a wonderful movie about this, it's called The Battle of Britain. It's got all kinds of stars that you'll recognize. They have these actual German planes that they use in the movie. They use the old uh, Spitfires, and it's a really well-done movie. I saw parts of it just uh, a while back. I think it was from the 60s, but they did a great job in this movie. Um, and uh, 1955, kind of funny, the first woman minister was ordained on this day, but also Betty Robbins became the first woman cantor, which is a Jewish cantor. So here we have the Heresy Highway just uh, taking off on this day in history. Um, and then uh, 1949 on this day, The Lone Ranger premiered on ABC. And then in 1965, both Lost in Space and Green Acres premiered on uh, CBS TV. So it was a great day for... Uh, things that I grew up with, and some of you were probably old enough to really appreciate them, whereas me, it was just kind of this this uh, magical thing watching these uh, shows when I was young, but uh, Lone Ranger, Lost in Space, and Green Acre all came out on this day in uh, uh, 49 and 65. So uh, there you go. That's this day in history, and I hope that uh, brought back some memories, and maybe you learned a little bit about the Bible and doctrine, and uh, uh, I, I, once again, I don't mean to offend anybody either here or on YouTube by bringing up things about uh, a female minister. I'm just simply proclaiming what the Bible proclaims. And uh, this is not a chauvinist thing. There's not a racial bone in me or a chauvinistic bone in me. It's just the way that God has done things. So uh, bear that in mind. Be happy that the Lord does have his eye on us and he gives us such details for his reasons. Um, here we go. Genesis 35, starting at the ninth verse. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padanaram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Also God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. 
A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you, and to your descendants after you I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Bethel. Now, if you've read the book of Genesis just once, you know that Jacob has already been named Israel. In fact, what happens in today's uh, verses is more often than not claimed by scholars to simply be a legendary repetition of the same account. Unless you know that God has a purpose for every word in his word, then there often seems to be no sense in why things get repeated and patterns keep showing up in the Bible. And so scholars make things up like, oh, well, that was inserted many years later by a scribe. Or you may hear, well, this is the same story just being told differently, and they don't know which actually happened, and so they kept both in the Bible. Too often, things like incompetence, carelessness, or maybe a willful manipulation of the text is used to explain away why things are the way they are. So the question is, is that it? Is this a book of error and haphazard compilation, or is it the carefully recorded work of a methodical and infinitely wise creator? I tell you, I would lean heavily on the latter. In Jacob, in uh, chapter 32, Jacob was told that his name would no longer be Jacob, but Israel. And yet the Bible never actually records him being called Israel until many years later. Here in chapter 35, it still hasn't happened. And yet in today's passage, he is named Israel again. Is there a reason for these things or are they really just legendary repetitions which partially match what happened? Well, let's see what God has for us today as we peer deep into this story. Our text first for today comes from the book of Ezekiel chapter 37. It says, then they shall dwell in the land. This is speaking of the Israelites that have been given to uh, uh, the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there, they, their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. In the church, we read verses like this one, and we try to find a reason why forever means something other than forever, or why what is promised to one group of people actually belongs to another group of people. When this happens, it's usually because we already believe something different than what the text actually says. The promise spoken by Ezekiel to the Lord is one which was long before spoken to his ancestor Jacob. The land of Canaan belongs to God, and God has granted it to one group of people. If we can simply accept that premise at face value, then we will more readily be able to understand the other things that God is doing in history as well. So let's do our very best to accept that God's promises are as they are stated and that he did not err in returning a nation of disobedient people back to the land which he long ago kicked them out of. Instead, he has a reason for them being here. All right? And so may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. The first of three thoughts today is God appears to Jacob. Verse 9. Then God appears to Jacob, uh, appeared to Jacob when he came from Padanaram and blessed him. Now I want you to know that there is an amazing set of parallels between the life of Jacob and the life of Abraham. 
Many of them are actually highlighted in the verses that we're looking at right here today in a very interesting way. Jacob has returned from being outside of the land of Canaan, and he now returns to Bethel, where he had his vision before he left. In that vision, the Lord promised him that the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Likewise, Abraham entered Canaan and was given a promise in the exact same area, just east of Bethel. It said, to your descendants, I will give this land. After receiving the promise, Abraham left Canaan for Egypt and Joseph left Canaan for Padan Aram. After returning from Egypt, Abraham eventually journeyed to the spot where he was originally spoken to between Bethel and Ai. Jacob returned from Padan Aram and eventually journeyed back to Bethel as well. Here in this verse, it says that God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram. This is not speaking of the again isn't speaking of any appearances since he came back into the land of Canaan. Rather, it's referring to when God met with him before he left the land of Canaan almost 30 years earlier. This is why the name Padan Aram is mentioned. He appeared to him there at Bethel before he left, and now he appears to him again after his return. That's kind of important, and I'll explain why in just a couple minutes. The altar was built, and the name El Bethel was given in fulfillment of the promise that was given so long ago. After the building of the altar, God now appears to him. Unlike last time, which was in a vision at the night, this time he now appears in visible form. The last time before he left, Jacob said these words, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Now that the promise is fulfilled, the Lord is his God. This is why the term God is used 10 times in this chapter, but the term Lord never is, even though it was used four times in the vision 30 years before when he left Bethel the last time. The Lord Jehovah, who stood above the ladder, proved himself faithful to Jacob, and therefore the Lord is now his God. I hope you're understanding what I'm trying to say because this is the same thing as calling on Jesus as Lord and why the resurrection is tied into our call. If you remember Romans 10, 9, it says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus showed himself faithful and the resurrection is the proof of this. Therefore, he is our God. We acknowledge that in our confession. In the same way, the Lord Jehovah appeared above the ladder and proved himself faithful to Jacob. Now he is Jacob's God. Be sure there is only one God. But who is that God? Is it Krishna? Is it Allah? Is it Buddha? Can they prove that they are God? The answer is no. But Jehovah can, and he did. Likewise, Jesus did, and he is God. When we know it, we need to acknowledge it. Jacob knew and he acknowledges. And this is why it's so important to understand what was mentioned about the use of the, ter the plural term gods in last week's sermon. If you didn't see that, you should watch it on YouTube so that you can understand what I'm talking about. All gods are to be removed from our lives, leaving only the true God as our God. One final thing from this verse is that it says God blessed Jacob. The Lord has been faithful to him and he has called on him as God and so God blesses him. Far too often people expect the blessing without the commitment. This isn't how things work. God's blessing is bestowed upon the committed soul.
Now, I'm going to give you a perfect example because we were just talking that uh, 9-11 was just this past week. And people all over, I bet you I saw it dozens of times on my wall on Facebook, and millions of people around America said these words on 9-11, God bless America. And we are not committed to God. We have a president that denies us as a Christian nation. We have people in the government that are working actively to remove God from every vestige of God from every possible point in our lives. They're trying to get us to secret our faith away in little buildings and not to proclaim it anywhere. This is not what God will bless us for. When people say, God bless America, I always respond the same way now. Bless God, America. And when we do that, then we can ask God to bless us, but not until then. Nobody gets a job. And we got a guy over here that got a job a while ago. And if he's been showing up late, and if he's been shiftless, and if he hasn't been working hard, would he go up to the boss and expect the boss to say, good job, you know, here's a raise? Well, that's what people are doing in America. We're expecting all of the blessings from Jesus without having him in our heart. We're expecting all of the blessings from Jesus without committing our lives to him. We have some people here that may be thinking about getting married or about having children. And if that is the case, that has to be based on Jesus Christ before God will bless that marriage or bless the development of that child. And without that precept being affected first, there is no blessing to be coming from God. I'm assuring you of that in advance so that you know that when you make these decisions or when you ask for God's blessing, it needs to be after being committed. Hate to beat a point to death, but I want you to understand that that is the way God works. We have got it out of order in this nation. Verse 10, then God said to him, your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. To tie all of the things which have occurred together, we come to this verse. It starts with, and God said to him. This is God speaking, not a God, but Jacob's God, the true God. And God says to him, your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. The Lord above the ladder is the same one who wrestled with him at night. He knows this because he's giving him the same name as he was given that night. But what was it that he prayed just before that wrestling match? Here's his words. He said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. He was Abraham's God. He was Isaac's God. And now he is Jacob's God. He is El Elohe Israel, the God, the God of Israel. The Lord is God. This changing of the name from Jacob to Israel is done by Jacob's God. But when Abraham's name was changed back in Genesis 17, it said that it was done by the Lord. Here's what it says from uh, Genesis 17, 5. No longer shall your name be called Avram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. Time and time again in the Bible, the connection is being made between Jehovah and God. They are one and the same. Bestowing of a name indicates the ownership. In Revelation 2, verse 17, Jesus promises his faithful a new name, thus implying that he is their master and he is their God. Verse 10 continues, so he called his name Israel. Now, what may seem even more curious than anything else that we've come across is that God just changed Jacob's name to Israel, saying, your name shall not be called Jacob anymore. And yet, 
He will be called Jacob three more times in this chapter before he's called Israel for the very first time in the Bible. After that, which is in verse 21, he's going to be called Jacob three more times before the chapter ends. And this chapter right here is six to ten years after the wrestling match where he was told the exact same thing. Your name shall not no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. As was explained then, for the rest of the Bible, both names, Jacob and Israel, are used commonly and interchangeably, sometimes even in the same sentence. Jacob is the flesh and blood man who still walks in a fallen world. Israel is the hope and the promise of life in the Messiah. Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He tells us there that the natural or the earthly comes first and then the spiritual. This is true with Adam coming before Jesus. And guess what? It is true in each person who is called on Jesus Christ as Lord. We are born carnally. We're in bodies of flesh and then we are born spiritually. This explains the reason why there are two stories which both claim to change Jacob's name to Israel. And it is the reason for both stories being so very similar. They are similar, and yet they're different. They contrast, and yet they confirm. Justice happens again and again and again in the Bible. When two things are noted, they are done to show the contrast, and yet the confirmation. There are two Testaments in the Bible. They contrast. They're the Old Testament and the New Testament. They're law and their grace and yet they confirm that this is God's word. In one day, there is darkness and there is light. They contrast, and yet they confirm a day's duration. Jesus is man, but Jesus is God. The two contrast, and yet they confirm the incarnation. There is heaven and there is earth. They contrast, and yet they confirm the universal domain, the spiritual and the material. In order for you to hopefully get what I'm getting at as far as the changing of the names here, I did a comparison of the two accounts where Jacob is renamed. Here are the results. And I got to tell you what, they will show you exactly what I'm talking about. I lined them both up and I was thoroughly surprised when I did. And as far as I know, you're the very first people ever to see these comparisons. The first account was in God's camp, Mahanaim. The camp is earthly. In the second account, it is God's house, Bethel. That's heavenly. In the first account, Jacob petitions the Lord in prayer. He's asking from God. In the second account, Jacob honors the Lord by building an altar and offering to God. In the first account, he says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac. That's earthly. In the second account, he says, El Bethel, God of the house of God. That's the divine. In the first account, there is the fear of man in Jacob. That's the fear of his brother Esau. In the second account, there is the fear of God on the people that are surrounding Jacob and his family. In the first account, Jacob is outside of Canaan, picturing outside of the promised land. In the second account, he is inside of Canaan. He is in the promised land. In the first account, Jacob is alone. In the second account, Jacob is with his family. In the first account, Jacob wrestles with man. In the second account, Jacob wrestles with God, or fellowships with God, I'm sorry. In the first account, Jacob's body is weakened in the hollow of the thigh, which indicates a groin area weakness. In the second account, he's told that nations and kings will issue from his body, groin area strength. 
in the first account, the man wrestles uh, with Jacob and he does not give Jacob his name. In the second account, God gives Jacob his name. He says, Ani El Shaddai, I am El Shaddai. In the first account, the man blesses Jacob. In the second account, God blesses Jacob. In the first account, the man names Jacob Israel. In the second account, God names Jacob Israel. In the first account, the name and blessing of Israel applies to Jacob the man. In the second account, the name and blessing of Israel applies to Jacob the people. In the first account, Jacob limps in weakness. In the second account, Jacob sets up a pillar in strength. In the first account, he names the location Peniel, the face of God. And in the second account, he names the location Bethel, the house of God. We are in this physical life. We're struggling with God and we're seeking his face. And yet, at the same time, we are fellowshipping with God and are living stones in his house. Israel here is not just a picture of the people of the nation. He is a picture of the spiritual life of one who walks in the world while being seated in heaven, just as the Bible describes believers in Jesus Christ. Verse 11, also God said to him, I am God Almighty. Here we have another connection tying all of the visions together. God said to him, I am God Almighty, Ani El Shaddai. This is the exact same words that the Lord spoke to Abraham when his name was changed at the promise of the covenant way back in Genesis 17. He said, Ani El Shaddai. God is the Lord. The Lord is El Shaddai, the Almighty. And the Almighty is God. The terms are being repeated and they're being used interchangeably for our benefit, for our learning, and for our belief. And this is exactly what the New Testament does with Jesus, God, the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God the Father, etc. All of these things, again and again, are being tied together and they're being used interchangeably to keep us from erring. And yet we err. Thus we deny Jesus his glory and we condemn ourselves for not paying attention. Verse 11 continues, Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you and kings shall come from your body. The Almighty God, the Lord, now repeats his promises made to Abraham so long ago. Back in Gen Genesis 17, he said these words, And I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. Now Jacob is going to refer right back to the verse that we're looking at now, when he adopts his own grandchildren, Ephraim and Manasseh, before he dies in Genesis 48. Here's what he says at that time. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Lutz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply and will make you a multitude of people and give this land to you and your descendants as an everlasting possession. Israel's blessing is the same blessing passed down from Abraham to Isaac and then from Isaac to Jacob. But it is a blessing which then goes to all of the sons of Israel. Instead of being the son of the covenant, it is the sons of the covenant. And that leads to our second thought today, which is the land promise. Verse 12, the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I give to you and your descendants after you. I give this land. This verse right here is of singular importance in understanding the role of Israel in the history of redemption. When Paul speaks of Israel, he is speaking of the people who physically descend from Israel. 
He never, never calls the church Israel, and he never calls Israel the church. There are those who are in Israel who are in the church, and there are those who are of the church who are the Israel of God. But Israel and the church are distinct entities. If the promise of land was made to Abraham and then never mentioned again, then the church could lay claim to the land promise because we in the church are called Abraham's descendants by faith. But the land promise was repeated to Isaac and then to Jacob. Because this is so, the land promise is a promise to a physical group of people who are the descendants of Israel and only them. When they are be obedient to the covenant, the land is theirs and they may use it. When they are disobedient, the land is theirs and they may not use it. Either way, this land is God's land, as the Bible explicitly says several times, and he has given it to them. And the duration of the gift is forever. El Shaddai said so to Abraham. Here's what he says in Genesis 17. Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. From Abraham, the promise was given on to uh, Isaac in Genesis chapter 26. Let me read that to you. Dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I give all these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws from Isaac. It was passed down to Jacob in his blessing upon him. Remember, he deceived his father and he uh, put on garments so that he uh, smelled and looked like Esau and Isaac blessed him. And here's what Isaac said at that time. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. Now here in Genesis chapter 35, God confirmed Isaac's blessings with his own, restating it to Jacob, the land I give to you and your descendants. Now, I have to tell you something. This applies to every single person on earth today. We have people in churches and actually denominations entirely that are working actively against Israel. They have said they don't want anybody in their denomination buying anything from Israel. They want anybody that has assets in Israel to sell them and not to be a part of them or to support them. We have nations that are working against Israel, and by doing so, they're working against God. Now, you have a choice. You can either be neutral on the subject and say, I just don't care, or you can say, I am going to support Israel. Not because they deserve it, not because they're right with God, but because God has selected them and God has returned them to the land. Or you can say, I disagree with God and his word and I am going to work against these people. Those are the only three choices you have. And that choice which you make will be a part of the blessings that we were just talking about a few minutes ago. If you work against God, you cannot expect God to bless you. You may think, oh, God blessed me today. He gave me a, a, you know, a new refrigerator in my house. When in fact, you just went out and worked and made money and got it. But God is working against you in the spiritual realm because you are working against his purposes for the people of the world, which includes this group of people. And as I said, I don't believe that they deserve what they are getting right now by being back in the land, but they will someday call on Jesus as Lord. And that is what we're anticipating, not the current, but what God's plan is reflecting. And that's a most important precept. You 
Every one of you is responsible for your doctrine. I can tell you these things are true, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Charlie is just a, a, a Jew lover or whatever, and he wants to mislead you on this. So now you have to go pick up your Bible and you have to study and decide. Will I support these people or are those other denominations right? And I will work against them. These are your choices. I can't make your mind up for you. All I can tell you is how the Bible is presented. And as I said, maybe I'm telling the truth and maybe I'm not, but you have to decide this yourself. In the end, you are responsible for your own doctrine. The Bible does say in James 3.1 that teachers will be held more accountable, but that doesn't mean that you're not accountable. Please study your word. As I say, week after week, read your Bible, have faith in God and in his promises, even to disobedient people. All right, where am I here? Um, okay, the third thought today, the house of God. This is verse 13. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. We've seen parallel after parallel between God's words to Abraham and his words to Jacob. Now that he's finished speaking to Jacob, it says God went up from him. And this is exactly what happened to Abraham back in Genesis 17. It says, and God went up from Abraham. In both instances, God appeared visibly and left visibly. As God is spirit, this must have been a physical manifestation of the Lord. It is the eternal Christ who has appeared time and time again in the pages of scripture, making promises and returning upon the fulfillment of those promises. He is the covenant keeping Lord. He is visible. He is tangible. He is wonderful. He is Jesus. If nothing else shows us that Jesus is returning to Israel in the future, the concept of keeping promises will certainly do. In Matthew 23, we read these words, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, guess what? That's never happened in human history. And therefore, this is a promise of the future, something that we can anticipate. The fact that he said it demonstrates that he really is returning to them. He is the one who makes and then the one who fulfills his promises, even to those who have rejected him for so very long. The life of Jacob, as we have seen so many times in past sermons, has been one picturing Jesus' work and picturing Jesus as his person. However, the life of Jacob is also one which is instrumental to God's work in and through the line of the Messiah. Select portions of Jacob's life have been used to picture the Lord in what is yet Jacob's future. Likewise, select portions of his life have been used to picture the Lord's work in Jacob's present. In both ways, they reveal the hand of the Lord as he directs the plan of redemption in human history. This is what makes stories like this right here so astonishing. They are real stories of real people leading to the Messiah. And yet, they are also stories that are pictures of the Messiah. Those leading to the Messiah have moral lessons. They have interesting patterns. They have verifiable truths. But those that picture the Messiah provide theological lessons. They provide more patterns and they provide more verifiable truths. If you were in control of all things, and if you had infinite knowledge, the way that you could prove it would be to tell about the things that you have done and at the same time, tell the things that you were going to do both in the same story. 
And when the stories span thousands and thousands of years, you would add in one more level of validation. This word has been studied by wise men, by scholars, by scientists, by mathematicians, by historians, by philosophers, by theologians, by archaeologists, etc., for eons. And yet new insights are peeled out of it almost daily. It is an inexhaustible resource of the wisdom of God and a demonstration of his love for us. Verse 14, so Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. With the exception of adding a drink offering, this repeats what he did in the vision of the past before he left the land of Canaan. There it said, then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. Is this the same stone that he set up 30 years earlier? Some scholars will say yes, and so when they translate the Bible, they say Jacob had set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him. Well, that's possible. It would make sense. But either way, the pillar is erected. Before he left on his way to Mesopotamia, he poured oil on it, and he made his promise. Here's what it said. If God will be with me and keep me in the way which I am going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Now he pours a drink offering and oil on it. The first time was a promise. This time it is acknowledgement. And so for the very first time in the pages of the Bible, a drink offering is made. A drink offering is something that accompanies a sacrifice, which is something that he would have done on the altar back in verse 7 from last week's sermon. Okay? The pouring out of a drink offering pictures the pouring out of Jesus' life on the cross. This is noted several times in the Bible, such as in the 22nd Psalm, which is specifically a psalm about the cross. Here's what it says. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. Pouring something out means that it is entirely gone. This is the symbolism of a drink offering. Everything is given to God just as Jesus' life was entirely poured out until his clay jar was empty. The oil poured on the pillar in the past was a picture of the Spirit resting on Jesus in preparation for his work. All of that work was pictured by the events of Jacob's life since then. Each of these stories we've looked at have detailed his work and his life. Now Jacob pours both a drink offering and then oil on the pillar. This then is a picture of his death on the cross and his resurrection by the return of the Spirit into him. All of the work has been fulfilled and we can see that the circle is complete in this act. Verse 15, And Jacob called the name of the place where he spoke with him Bethel. In fulfillment of Jacob's words in chapter 28, the place is formerly called Bethel, the house of God. Now if you can see how all of it fits, the Lord was above the ladder and Jacob was on the earth. He called the name of the place Bethel in anticipation of the fulfilled promise. In the interim chapters, there have been all of these stories which have shown the actual work of the Lord in redemptive history through the dispensations and throughout all of the ages of time. Now Jacob is again in the, the same place, the land of Canaan, but God is not above the ladder. God is there with him. Bethel has now become an actual spot where God's people reside. Because of the work of Jesus, the hope of Revelation chapter 21 is seen anticipated in these verses right here. 
Here's what it says. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of God from, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. The place where Jesus, the stone that the builders rejected, now reigns is Bethel, the house of God. Because of Jesus, it will come down from heaven to dwell with men. But earlier, he entered humanity through the people who will issue from Jacob. Again, we're seeing Jacob's life being used in several ways at one time. His actions are picturing the Lord, and yet his life is being dedicated to the coming of the Lord. Now, to see this more clearly, we can do one more short comparison between the account in chapter 28 and this account here. He was in Bethel at the first time, and then he came to Bethel the second time. Here's the comparison. Jacob has a vision. The second account, God appears to Jacob. In the first account, the Lord is in heaven above the ladder. In the second account, God is there with Jacob. In the first account, it says, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. In the second account, he says, I am El Shaddai, the omnipotent God. In the first account, he says, uh, the land I will give to you and your descendants. In the second account, it says, this land I give to you and your descendants. In the first account, then Jacob awoke from his sleep. In the second account, then God went up from him. In the first account, it says, Jacob took the stone that he had put at his head and set it up as a pillar. In the second account, Jacob set up a pillar of stone in the place where he talked with them. In the first account, he poured oil on it, Jesus' baptism in the coming of the Spirit. In the second account, he poured a drink offering and oil on it, a picture of the crucifixion and then the return of the Spirit into him. In the first account, he called the name of that place Bethel, a vision of the house of God. In the second account, he called the name of the place where God spoke with him Bethel, the place where God resides. If you see the patterns going on here, it's just marvelous marvelous to see. Now, although passages like these six verses today may not have a lot that we can apply directly to our lives, there is an abundance of how we can use them to apply, apply things indirectly to our lives. They haven't told us how to live our lives or how to treat our children or how to uh, act towards our wife, but they tell us that God is in complete control of what is going on. From the distant past in this little piece of land in the Middle East come stories which tell us of heaven's glory, God's wisdom, and the Lord's concern for even the smallest details of how things work in both the earthly and in the spiritual realms. If he cares this much about such details, then how much more does he care about the other things, like your marriage, like your health, like how happy you are as you walk on this earth? Sometimes the Bible might seem a bit too deep or it may have so much detail that it's almost overwhelming, but the detail has been given by God to clarify a very simple message. It is a message of hope. It's a message of reconciliation. It is a message of glory to God and a message of glory for us. And it all centers on Jesus Christ. He is the point and he is the purpose of everything that God is doing in history to bring us back to himself. So if you'll allow me just another moment, I'd like to remove some of the depth and I'd like to tell you the simple message once again of your need for him 
and how it can be resolved. We are human beings. And as you've seen, we've seen the earthly and we've seen the spiritual in these verses. We are earthly. We're born carnally and we're born into sin. That's what the Bible teaches and we don't even need the Bible to know that. Nobody teaches children to do wrong. They know how to do it instinctively. It's teaching them how to do right that needs to occur. And so here we are walking in this world and we're sinning against God. And there is no hope for us because God is infinitely perfect and we're fallen. A finite sin against an infinite God infinitely separates you from him. And so God himself devised the plan before he created anything. I will enter into the stream of what I have created. I will unite with human flesh and I will become a man. It's called the incarnation, the God man. And he lived that life that you and I can't live without inheriting Adam's sin and without committing any sins of his own. And then he in fact did go to the cross and he did give his life up in exchange for us. He poured it out completely so that now we can have reconciliation to God by simply exercising a little bit of faith. God, you did this for me. You brought this man out of the grave to prove what you said. And I wanna just trust in that simple thing. I wanna put my trust and hope in Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, any trust anywhere else is misguided trust. It is Jesus. He can take care of every wrong in our life. He can take care of every ill in our life, every addiction, every sorrow, every sadness, every bad thing that we carry around with us and he can make it right. And yes, we're gonna struggle with those things because we are Jacob living in a carnal world, but we are Israel because we are seated with God right now in heaven if we have called on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So even with our struggles, as Jacob has struggled, we are saved eternally and we can never lose that. That is the hope and that is the promise of life in Messiah. So if you've never called on Jesus Christ and just simply said, forgive me, lead me to that rock which is higher than I, do it today. That's what I would ask of you. Our closing verse today comes from the book of Exodus chapter six. It says there, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my, my name, the Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan in the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. Once again, God confirming it belongs to this group of people. Pay attention to the words of scripture and believe. Pray for the peace of Israel. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. God will bless you if you do, I assure you. Next week is Genesis 35 verses 16 through 27. I think we finished the chapter with that and it's called the circle of life. That'll be our 89th Genesis sermon. And so please make sure to study those verses and read them and think about them. Why did God put those in there? And we'll talk about it next week. Before I give you our poem and we take communion, I will remind you as I do each week that the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. And he has a good plan and a purpose for you. So call on him and allow him to do marvelous things both for you and through you. Okay, our poem today is called The House of God. It says, uh, then God appeared to Jacob again when from Padanaran he came and blessed him right there and then. And God said to him, Jacob, about your name. Your name is Jacob, as you know, but your name shall not be called Jacob anymore. Anymore? Anymore. But Israel shall be your name, this I bestow. So he called his name Israel, a name of good rapport. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply if I have, as I have now said. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you and kings shall come from your body in the years ahead. The land which to Abraham and Isaac I gave, I give to you, it is your inherited right. And to your descendants after you, this road I pave. I give this land and I do so with delight. 
Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him, there to his face. So Jacob set a, a pillar in the place where he talked with him, there at Bethel, a pillar of stone, and he poured upon its face a drink offering, and he poured oil on it as well. And Jacob called the place there by the name where God spoke with him, Bethel. This he did proclaim. God's house is his heavenly throne, and from it he is the ruler of all things. Someday it will be our eternal home. It is for this future glory that a hopeful soul sings. This hope we have because of the Lord Jesus, his heavenly home he left to come to earth. While here he fulfilled the law and died for us in order to give us a chance at new birth. And he prevailed over the grave, rising from the dead to justify us. And the repentant sinner he will save. Such is the grace of the Lord Jesus. All glory to the Lamb who died for you and me and who has secured for us the promise of life eternally. Hallelujah and amen. Yes, Lord, thank you. Thank you that we can look at this passage today, which seems kind of obscure and hard to understand, and realize that it in fact is picturing us. Here's Charlie Garrett sitting here with a painful back, and yet I'm already seated with you in heaven's glory without any trials or any pains at all. And here's somebody sitting in this congregation right now worried about their finances, and yet here they are right now in your mind walking on streets of gold. We are Jacob and we are Israel. We are the earthly and we are the spiritual combined waiting for your glorious redemption. And it's all as sure as sure can be because of the wonderful work of our Lord and Savior who prepared the way for us, who went before us, who broke free of the bonds of death. And where the bonds are broken, they can never be repaired. Such is the greatness of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So in his name, his glorious name, we pray. Amen.